Let's turn now in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. It's a familiar prophecy, a prophecy about Jesus Christ, and it connects to the Redeemer that we'll be looking at in the book of Ruth. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You've multiplied the nation, you've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray together as we come to hear God speak in his word. Let's pray. Lord, we know that we can trust you. We know that all that you do is perfect and that so often we look at what you are doing in our lives and we don't understand it. We pray, Lord, that as we come to your word and we see the book of Ruth and we see your hand so clearly working out your purposes in the lives of your people, especially your purpose to redeem your people for yourself, Lord, we pray that you would teach us to trust you in all things. Open our hearts now to be receptive to be soft so that when you speak, we listen and are changed. Give us the Holy Spirit to do that work and to take your word and to plant that seed into our lives and cause us to change, cause us to grow in our obedience and in our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our sermon this evening comes from Ruth chapter 4. We're in the final, final sermon in our sermon series on Ruth. In Ruth chapter 4, I think it was my second grade teacher who was trying to teach us writing lessons, and the only one that I remember is you're not supposed to have cliffhanger stories. You know, it's one of those stories where it ends dramatically, and everybody's wondering what in the world happens next. Uh, Ruth 3, that we looked at last week, it kind of left us on the edge of a cliff because Boaz promises to redeem Ruth and Ruth and Naomi are left waiting to hear what's going to happen next. Well, Ruth 4 finishes the story and what a finish it really is because we see that this this book is not just a story about Ruth and Boaz and Naomi. It's a story about Israel. It's a story about David and it's ultimately a story about Jesus, our Redeemer. Well, then in mind, let's read Ruth chapter 4 together. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. 
So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. As we wrap up our study in the book of Ruth, and especially focused on Ruth chapter 4, we see this evening that God faithfully accomplishes his plan to redeem all of his people in Christ. God faithfully accomplishes his plan to redeem all of his people in Christ. As we go through this text, I want to look at three themes as we look toward our Redeemer. First, we'll see faithfulness in verses 1 through 12. Then we're going to see fullness in verses 13 to 17. And finally, future in verses 17 to 22. So first, let's look at the fullness or the faithfulness of our Redeemer. See, the faithfulness of the Redeemer in this passage comes out very clearly because we see Boaz, who is going to redeem Ruth 
as he has promised to do. Now we've seen that it's good to be faithful, but we actually need God to be guiding our steps. All the way through the book of Ruth, we've been looking at the providence of God. And in the very first verse, we see his hand at work. Because it says, And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Remember that this other man had a right to redeem Naomi's land and Ruth. Boaz reminds him of this this right in verse 4. But I want you to just focus on that one word, and behold. And behold, that is showing that this is actually God's work. God is the one who brought about this meeting to provide for Ruth and Naomi. Now Boaz responds to the providence of God by gathering witnesses together, and he begins to speak. And at first, this other redeemer is very interested in Boaz's suggestion because the prospect of getting more land seems very attractive. He listens to what Boaz says, then all that he has to do is is pay a little money now and he can redeem Elimelech's land and use it all for himself. He confidently says then, I will redeem it. But listen closely to verses 5 through 6. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field, from the hand of Naomi you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And then we hear the Redeemer changing. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Boaz here is reminding the Redeemer of another provision of God's law. A close relative like this man would be expected to marry the widow Ruth so that the family line would continue. That's that's what Boaz means when he says that the goal is to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. It is very, very important that Elimelech's family has a son to continue the family line. You probably understand this a little bit. Um, if I look at my own family on my mom's side, there are no boys in my generation, no male cousins. So that means that her family name will end with my uncles. That's, that's a little sad, I think. But it, for Israel, in the time of Ruth, the end of the family line was much more than just a little sad. It was a disaster because of the importance of the family for Israel. The family showed God's faithfulness through the generations. The promises made to the fathers are being fulfilled generation by generation by generation. In other words, there was a theological reason that the family was so important for Israel. And that's why this Redeemer then was expected to marry Ruth and have a son so that the family line would continue. Now, from what Boaz says here, there's a little bit more going on because if there is a son, that first son would also get all the family land back again, the inheritance that God had given to his family. When the Redeemer starts to Think about what all this means. This is when he changes his answer. Listen to his words carefully. He says, I cannot redeem it. Not that I'm just not willing to do it. He says, I cannot. That is a very strange, a very strong statement. 
especially because he still has the ability to do it. What is stopping him from redeeming Ruth and the land? Well, here's the reason. Lest I impair my own inheritance. Think about what he's saying. He's saying, if I marry Ruth, then I'm going to lose something. Now I'll have to take care of Ruth, and I'll have to take care of Naomi, and I'll have to take care of any children. That's, that's a lot of money, actually. That's a lot of food. And if there are sons, wait a minute, then the oldest one gets Elimelech's land. I don't get to keep that. And if we have any other children, then I have to divide my own land, my own inheritance with them, as well as with the children I already have. I can't risk doing that. I can't risk hurting myself to take care of these people. This is a selfish, financially driven, worldly kind of reasoning. This Redeemer is not willing to sacrifice for Ruth and for Naomi. That's not how God wants us to think. That's not what he calls us to in his word. He wants us to be faithful to what he said, to act in ways that reflect his own character. Remember what I said previously, that in the Old Testament, a redeemer had a unique opportunity to reflect God's love for his own people by preserving their land and their families. The redeemer is passing that up to take care of himself. The author actually seems to go out of his way to emphasize the selfishness of the Redeemer's decision. Notice that he's called the Redeemer over and over and over again in this passage. It's almost like driving home the fact of what he should be doing, and yet he's not living up to that calling. He is not actually being the Redeemer that he is supposed to be. No, he is seeking his own good instead of the good of others. In fact, the author seems to go further because the Redeemer is never, ever named. Did you notice that? In verse 1, he's called a friend. Some translations say Mr. So-and-so. He doesn't get a name. Not at all. Names are very, very important in the Bible. They, they, they tell you about a person's character, what he's like. And the author is telling us that this man doesn't even deserve to be named because of what he's doing. But Boaz, he's different. Boaz is the true and faithful redeemer. Boaz willingly buys all the land belonging to Elimelech and redeems Ruth with the clear, godly intention of raising up an heir for Elimelech. Look at his, ver his words again in verse 10. What's the difference between that redeemer and Boaz? I mean, Boaz was a good businessman, right? We saw he had some fields. We know he was making money. He could have done that same kind of calculation that went through the other redeemer's head. Right? Boaz could see the sacrifice that we would be required to be a redeemer. He could see the potential hit on his bottom line. And he could see the future impact of his actions on his own inheritance. And he still chose to do it. Boaz chose faithfulness to God and to God's law over any kind of financial or family or future considerations. Have there been times in your life when you've been faced with a decision like this? Maybe not the same kind of decision, right, of redeeming somebody, but with those implications that if you choose faithfulness to God, there's going to be sacrifice involved. Faithfulness 
versus other things. It's, it's hard when you're in that situation. It's very hard because it's tempting to do what you think seems best. What makes the most sense to you as you look at the situation, instead of trusting God for the outcome. But I want you to encourage you. If you look maybe back at your own life and you see those situations or they're all coming for, those kind of situations will come again in our lives. Be faithful. Be faithful. Commit yourself to follow God even when it's hard. And I want to point this out in the passage. What happens for Boaz as he is faithful? God blesses him. That's what happens actually in the next few verses here, right after he has declared that he will redeem Ruth and Naomi. One of the themes actually of the entire book of Ruth is that God blesses his faithful people. And that appears again right here after Boaz's announcement. In verses 11 through 12, the elders and the people of the gate, they respond to Boaz's faithfulness with three really amazing blessings. There's a blessing first on Ruth that she would be like Rachel and Leah. You know, this is an amazing blessing because think about the history of Israel. The tribes of Israel come from Rachel and Leah. So the blessing on the one hand is for fruitfulness, that they would have many children like Rachel and Leah. But there's more because it's also a blessing to make Ruth important in the history of Israel, as important as Rachel and Leah. There's also, secondly, a blessing on Boaz, that he would be known as a godly man and be important in the town of Bethlehem. And finally, there's a blessing on Boaz's family, that they would be important in Judah. Now, you can look in Genesis 38 for the story of Judah and Tamar and Perez, But as we see throughout Genesis and in the Old Testament, Perez's family became one of the most important families in the whole tribe of Judah. And now these men sitting in the city gate are praying for God's blessing that God would make Boaz and his family as important as the family of Perez. If you know what's coming at the end of this passage, actually, Looking forward, this blessing actually seems more like a prophecy because God blessed Ruth and Boaz in remarkable ways. Now, we'll see that soon as we look toward the end of the passage. But just to see the basic point here that God really does reward and bless us for our faithfulness. So we've seen faithfulness, especially of our Redeemer. Let's look secondly at fullness in verses 13 to 17. Remember, another theme of the book of Ruth has been fullness, how God has been working, especially in the life of Naomi, to bring her from emptiness back to fullness. We saw in the beginning how God took away her husband, he took away her sons, and he brought her back home to Bethlehem, empty. But slowly but surely, throughout these chapters, he has been giving her more and more and better and better blessings. Remember, God provided Boaz so that Naomi would have food. We saw that in chapters 2 and 3. And now in chapter 4, we see that God works through Boaz to provide family, especially a son. Look at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. This is only the second time in the entire book that the Lord is described as acting. 
Now remember, we've seen God's providence, right? He brought Ruth to Boaz's field, and he brought the Redeemer to meet Boaz in the first verse of this chapter. But much of God's work so far in the book has been in the background. Not here, though. And that's very important. The other time, actually, that the Lord acts is chapter 1, verse 6. The Lord visited his people and gave them food. And now the Lord visits Ruth, and he gives her conception. We're actually supposed to see the parallel between those two acts of blessing. In chapter 1, remember, God reverses the famine, which is a result of the people's sin. He is gracious and blesses his people. And now in chapter 4, God reverses barrenness. Remember, Ruth hasn't been able to have a child so far. She's been married for almost 10 years with no child. God now visits her to reverse barrenness, another sign of the fallen of judgment. And he blesses her with a baby. You can think of other women in the Bible who are in in similar situations. Think of, for instance, Sarah or Hannah. They also needed the special work of God to be able to conceive. And God is showing, both through bringing food in chapter 1 and now in bringing family in chapter 4, that he is continuing to bless his people in remarkable ways. This son, son, though, is, is a blessing really for Naomi more than he is for Ruth and Boaz. Look at verses 14 and 15. The women of Bethlehem blessed the Lord... Because he has provided Naomi with a redeemer. But they aren't talking about Boaz. They're talking about this little baby boy. This baby is Naomi's redeemer because he will care for her in her old age. That's what they say. doesn't mean that he's going to be the, the primary caregiver, right? Nursing her. But his presence already gives Naomi hope and life. Her future and the future of her family are now secure because of what God has given. Naomi could not have expected this blessing when she walked into Bethlehem in chapter 1. All that she saw then when she came home was God's discipline. She says, the, Lord, the hand of the Lord was against me. It's amazing to see how her view of God has changed now. God has showed himself to be a God who deeply loves Naomi and who actually has been guiding her every step of the way toward a life of fullness and blessing. That can be true in our own life as well. We're just saying in 128, God moves in a mysterious way. And so often in our own lives, we run into these same problems, that we look at the clouds that he brings, we look at the difficulties, and we see God's discipline, or we see... Maybe that we think that God doesn't love us, but time and a time, time and again in our life, and especially as we see it kind of in big form in the in the life of Naomi, God slowly but surely brings us to times of blessing. And when we're in those times of blessing, we look back, we can see God's hand as Naomi now sitting with her little grandson can look back and see his work in her life. But this also leads us, thirdly, to the future, to look toward the future in verses 17 through 22, because the story doesn't end with this happy scene with a little baby boy. No, the book of Ruth ends with a genealogy. It's just a short one, but it's an important one, because actually this shows us 
the meaning of the book of Ruth. These names here show us what Ruth is all about. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. We are looking at the family of David, David the king. That's where this whole book is going. That's where this family leads us to. The faithfulness of Ruth and Boaz leads to the greatest king of Israel. It leads to David. What a blessing for Ruth and Boaz to be part of the line of David. But they probably never lived to see it. They were the great-grandparents of David. We see, though, that there's an important point there because God's, God's blessing on their faithfulness grew even greater in the generations after their deaths because Obed, he was a blessing from God, but David was even more. Obed was for their family. David was for the nation. And we see in this that God's blessing far exceeded their faithfulness. Remember when we looked at Ruth chapter 2, we saw God's gracious rewards to Ruth. Remember what Boaz praised, that God would repay her and that he would reward her. Well, the gift of David to this family, though, is, is far beyond anything that would ever be something they deserved, anything that's in connection to what they've done. The gift of David shows the abundance of God's blessing and reward. I also want you to think about this with Ruth and Boaz. They never lived to see David. They didn't see God's blessing on their faithfulness beyond their lives. That's true for us, though. That's true for us as well. Your faithfulness may lead to God's blessing on people you may never meet, whether it's people in other parts of the world or in future generations. You maybe think about your own life. You think about the faithfulness in your own family or the faithfulness of people who have preached or taught or led churches. Their faithfulness is shown in your life, and God will use your faithfulness in the lives of others. We really have no idea how God will bless our faithfulness. Now, obviously, there's not going to be another King David. That's not the point. That was unique in redemptive history, but God does use and bless our faithfulness now for future generations. Do you pray that way? Do you pray that God would use you to bless others around the world or others in the future? Do you obey that way, that your faithfulness goes far beyond just your personal life or even your family or even your church? So that's a challenge for us. Ask for God's blessing, though. We can ask for that. We can ask for God to work through us in extraordinary ways and trust him that he's going to do it even if we never see the results. Ask for God's blessing and be faithful. This genealogy of God's expanding blessings points us even further forward in history because Boaz and Ruth and David show up in another genealogy later. It's the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. Jesus is the promised son who is the true redeemer. Both Boaz and Obed point us forward to Jesus' work for us. Let's think about Obed, that that son who's a redeemer. That's why I read from Isaiah 9. 
Israel was told to look forward to a coming son. A coming son who is going to be a redeemer. That promised son is greater than Obed. He is greater than David. He is the one who would redeem and rule his people forever. That's Jesus. Jesus is that promised son who came to save his people. But he did that at an incredible cost to himself. We see that cost as we think about Boaz and Jesus, actually. Aren't you so glad that Jesus is like Boaz and not like that unnamed redeemer? Remember what that other man did? He counted the cost and he didn't think it was worth it. Boaz counted the cost and he chose to redeem. Jesus counted an even greater cost and he was willing to pay it. Jesus knew the cost of sacrificing himself to save us. He's the, he the infinite God. Just think about this. Jesus is the infinite God. And part of saving you meant that he willingly joined himself to human nature. It's finite. It's limited. He willingly did that. Jesus had all the riches of heaven. And he was willingly born in poverty. Jesus is perfect. And as God, he hates sin, and he willingly lived a perfect life in a sin-filled world. Jesus is the very word, and he spoke the words of life, and he was rejected. He was mocked for what he said. Jesus is the author of life, and he willingly died to save you. He paid that cost, all of those things and more, because he loved you and he loves me. And he did that while we were yet sinners. Not while we were great, not while we were perfect, no. He, he died for us while we were ugly and dirty and sinful. That is faithfulness. That is faithfulness because he decided to do it. He chose to do it. That is his unchanging covenant love for us. We have seen amazing faithfulness in the book of Ruth. Through Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, we have never seen something as great as the covenant love, the unchanging faithfulness of Jesus Christ. As we finish Ruth tonight, let me encourage you to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, our Redeemer. God has not changed. In fact, now in Christ, we see his character even more clearly than Ruth and Naomi and Boaz ever could. We see his love, his faithfulness, his power, and his wisdom. And there's going to be more. We're going to see God, our Redeemer, so much more clearly because Christ has saved us with fellowship with God forever. That's where we're going. Remember where we're going. Our story as Christians is not a cliffhanger. As we look at our own lives now, we actually know what's coming for us. We don't know all the details. We'll discover it as we know God more in this life and as we live with God forever in heaven. We don't really know how great it's going to be until our salvation is complete, when we stand in God's presence forever. That's where we're going to see how great a cost Jesus paid. That's when we're finally going to see how great God's love for us really is. And that's where we're finally going to be able to perfectly respond to who God is and everything that he's done for us. So as we finish the book of Ruth, look to Jesus and look forward to heaven. It's going to be great to be able to be with our Redeemer perfectly forever. Amen. Let's pray.
Lord, you are a God who are, is faithful to your promises. You're faithful to your plans. So when you promised to redeem us in Christ, you did it. And you did it perfectly. And you did it powerfully. Now each one of us who is in you has been bought back to serve you. We thank you, Lord, that we do have a perfect redeemer. We don't have to be worried. We don't have to be worried because he is strong to save. And once we are your people, we will never fall out of your hand. Our redemption is secure and we can look forward to being with you in heaven, to serve you now, to worship you now, but even more so when we see you face to face. Lord, we pray that you would show us these truths again and again and again in our life. Help us not to be able to go any day of our lives without knowing and living as those you have redeemed. We thank you for this, and we pray that you would continue to do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.